Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey y'all, it's Crystal And it's Samantha And this is Serial Holic Sisters True crime shit Hey girl, hi What up? I just, I only have one little thing to say Before we get started on this episode Um, I thought when you got older You didn't have to deal with stupid teenage hormone type things like acne. I am getting super pissed off because I feel like a teenager. I today I've been very, very self-conscious of my face. Oh no. <laughs> I keep getting mask knee because I work at a doctor's office and I have to wear mask eight hours a day all day. And so I keep getting like mask right. knee like on my chin and it's super annoying. It's pissing me off. It's actually making me like super annoyed because I don't ever wear, I'm not a makeup wearer really. Like yeah. if I wear makeup, it's it's like eyeliner or mascara or something. I don't, I don't really wear makeup very often. So I definitely don't wear um, foundation. I've never been one that does that. And I'm just breaking out and I'm like, I like how you're I? like looking 16 again. <laughs> I like how you're like, I'm very self-conscious about this. It's pissing me off. So let me tell everyone all about it. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, like if you actually, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like my husband's constantly staring at my face. And I'm like, oh, what God. the fuck are you looking at? <laughs> I will fuck you up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty much how it is. I'm like, stop fucking looking at me. <laughs> what if he was but just like, oh, you're so pretty. And you're like, stop fucking looking at me. <laughs> no, he pointed it out. That's Oh my God, ass. <laughs> we were, we were sitting, he wasn't doing it to be rude or anything, but we were sitting in, in bed um, last night and um, he was watching some show on TV or whatever. And he, he glanced over and like, he did a double take and I'm over here. Like, you know, doesn't have to be so obvious about it. Jeez. <laughs> I know I'm checking away on my computer and I'm like, what the, what the hell are you looking at? Cause it was just like really awkward. And I look over, I was like, what are you looking at? And he's like, do you know you're breaking out? I was like, fuck you. <laughs> you're like, breaking oh, out. I just didn't know he's like I wasn't trying to be mean he's like are you stressed out I was like well yeah I got you and three kids what else do you think is happening no it's fine everything's fine everything is fine (laughs) as flames so basically all day I was like great great I've got this going on but anyways everything's fine I have nothing new nothing new to report other than I'm just like 16 years old again basically (laughs) that's cool that's more than I have to report because I've just have had a normal week so far so i guess we can get get into into it it then let's do it all right let's let's do this it's your week it is my week y'all it's my week um so this week we are going to go to brooklyn in the early 1900s okay Okay, (laughs) i don't know if you have ever heard of this because i had not at all so we'll see. It's not like a huge well-known like serial killer case. It's but it's just it's something different. So we are going okay. to talk about an undertaker slash mobster named John Romanelli and the 1919 okay. Christmas Massacre. 
I don't think I have heard this one. Okay, so interesting. In, interesting. Settle in, get all cozy, comfy. Let's get into it. I'm cozy. Cool, cool. Cozy. Okay, August 7th, 1915. 18, not 18. Eight year old. <laughs> I'm like 18. 18 nope. <laughs> Eight year old Tony Scudo was playing at the end of Second Street by Gowanus Canal. I don't know if that's how you okay. say that. So they were playing a game that they had made up that involved picking up loose paving stones and like yeeting them into the canal. they're just eating these stones into the canal trying to see who can make the biggest splash with their stones okay okay so i feel like every kid plays that game right 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 it's either some point of time or you're just like trying to make a big splash i know my big thing was anytime my kids and i would go down to like the river like if i'd take them to the river or the or lake or some fishing spot when they were younger it was always Oh, let's see who can make the biggest splash. So yeah, that's a, that's a normal so, game. So that's what Tony and his friends were playing. Um, Tony had been working at prying loose an especially large stone for like a while. And then he finally managed to pick it up. He struggled to carry it to the bank and then finally managed to hurl the heavy stone into the water. So there was this large, satisfying splash. But Tony wasn't really able to savor this moment because the effort of throwing the large stone had caused him to lose his balance and he tumbled into the canal after the stone oh no yeah and he the was ma- eight? he's eight yes the major problem with this is that tony could not swim his friends all took off running to try to get help one of his neighbors was actually a 15 year old also named tony tony naparino and he had been there also like playing the eating stones game and saw tony fall And he dove in to try to help him. There were also some men that were working on a brick barge nearby that heard the young boys calling for help. And so they like dove in and were trying to help Tony find Tony. But the water was like crazy murky. And after a while, the search began lasting way too long. At this point, a large crowd had gathered along the shoreline. And Tony's distraught parents were in the crowd, like panicked and worried, just freaking out. Naparino actually dove several times looking for Tony with no, no luck before he finally came up out of the water with Tony in his arms. Oh. Yeah, super sad. So it was instantly obvious to everyone that they'd gotten him too late and Tony had drowned. This was confirmed by Dr. Feld of the Holy Family Hospital after his body was laid on the bank beside his grieving parents. So that's super sad. Super sad way to start this tale. super sad. Now, among the crowd that had gathered were two well-known rival undertakers. So one was John Romanelli, and the other was Gitano Mangano. So it's super creepy to me that these undertakers were just like lurking around a possible death scene to try to call dibs on yeah, the funeral. Kind of, well, that's basically what they were doing. It's not kind of weird. It, it, like it is weird. It's super <laughs> weird. Super weird. And disturbing. Not long after Tony's body was discovered, there was an argument between the two of them because um, one of Scudo's neighbors named Leo Malio, which is rhymy, Leo Malio, um <laughs> put in a good word for mangano and he was like hey scudos super sorry about the loss of your young child that like literally just happened that really sucks but i can get you a great deal on his burial see i know this guy named mangano and he'll like get you taken care of so who does that <laughs> right right so romanelli finds out about this the other undertaker and he's not happy about it because like 
he this is like his turf he wasn't someone that you really wanted to piss off very popular among the italian community in the area that was known as um brooklyn's italy so he was known as either king john or the mayor of brooklyn's italy so he's like this mobster oh, okay. type. It's all these connections um romanelli's like what the fuck like i was totally lurking here first this is my turf like that should be my body to bury <laughs> right super fucking creepy this whole situation is completely fucked but okay they start arguing about it right then and there in front of everyone um officer max siegel actually had to like break in and separate them he's like y'all this is not the time or place for this like get the fuck out of here right <laughs> right so they leave but a few hours later some shit goes down a few hours later that same day that same police officer was on post at union street and third avenue so he's walking around he's patrolling the area suddenly he hears gunshots lots and lots of gunshots not just like a, a shot or two like lots of gunshots like a whole ass clip <laughs> like a, like a whole ass couple clips so he takes off running towards the sound which like good on him because that would not be my first instinct <laughs> I was say, good on good on him if i if i hear the sound i'm not gonna run towards it right Friends, hey. i'm gonna run the other way <laughs> I think he definitely chose the right profession for himself. That would not have worked for me. I would have been like, shit, something's going down. Run the other way. <laughs> like, Listen, I mean, I'm going into that type of profession, but I still would not run towards the bullets. Towards all the bullets. So, not so, that many bullets. Not that many. Maybe like one. <laughs> I hear like one gunshot. Okay, I need to go check that out. Not 1,200 gunshots. Right. That sounds like I can't handle that by myself. <laughs> I'm going to need some backup, like stats. I'm going to need lots of backup. <laughs> so he runs to President Street and 3rd Avenue just in time to see a well-known jewelry salesman named Vincenzo Gianallo running towards him with a gun that, quote, resembled a machine gun. So he's, this guy's just running down the road with a machine gun. Like, that's not cool. Just running down the road. That's yeah. Just so he's running, but he's not running towards him like he's charging at him he's running towards him like he's running away from someone else <laughs> that oh, okay. someone else was john romanelli so apparently romanelli and mangano had continued to argue about who should be the one to profit over this little boy's tragic death and the argument escalated into a literal riot romanelli and his men against mangano and his men so officer siegel commanded vincenzo to drop his weapon but instead of doing that he raised the machine gun and aimed it at Siegel. And so Siegel was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and he drew his revolver oh, and sent a bullet right through Vincenzo's hat. So he's like wearing this oh. hat. And he's like, oh, no, you don't point that at me. And like shot through his hat. Vincenzo was like, my bad, bro. And he dropped his weapon. <laughs> he's like, my bad. And, and he just noped the fuck out of there. He's like, I'm going to just set this down. So then Romanelli comes walking up. And Siegel tells Romanelli to drop his weapon and he immediately complies. He's like, yeah, I saw you shoot his hat. I'm not gonna, we ain't playing that game. So Siegel you, then- You better stop, bro. <laughs> right. I got you. <laughs> I'm gonna just set this gun right here. <laughs> Do you need some help? I'll be on your side. <laughs> we're on this, I've been saying we're on the same side. Like that's what I was talking about. Um, so Siegel tells Romanelli to drop his weapon. We did that. So Siegel then pushed both the men into the drugstore that they were standing in front of. So he pushes them in and he goes in 
and he locks the door because remember there's like a literal riot happening like all around them they look through the window and they see all of Romanelli's friends gathering on one side and then on the other side Mangano and his friends gathering suddenly the crowd rushes the drugstore that they've locked themselves in and breaks through the gla- glass of the front door and it just becomes straight up madness like everyone's fighting there's fists being thrown there's bullets flying everywhere uh, people are just grabbing random items and using them as weapons like they were using oh, okay. anything they could find when all of this was over there were six stilettos found lying in the road that had been used during the riot so people were just like taking shoes off and oh my god yeah yes like it was it got real like, real like a mad mama with a flip-flop with a chongola yes <laughs> so <laughs> Siegel is fighting off these people with his baton while he's still trying to keep Romanelli and Vincenzo like in custody. Right. There were more than 150 men involved in this battle and over 100 bullets shot. Finally, more officers arrive and they like run into the crowd with their batons drawn and everyone's like, oh, the jig is up. And they start all running off in different directions because like all the coppers are here now. <laughs> the jig is up. <laughs> That's like a quote. That's literally what they said. Um, <laughs> the jig is up. Drop your stilettos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so when, <laughs> when the dust settles, Romanelli and Mangano have both been shot. Um, Romanelli's injury was just a superficial wound a bullet had grazed across his forehead so that could have been much much worse if he had just like moved a little bit one way yeah mangano was not so lucky so he had been shot in the abdomen and the left leg and had also been stabbed multiple times oh damn yeah um he was taking taking he was taken to the holy family hospital but unfortunately he did not survive his injuries after being treated for his flesh wound, Romanelli was arrested for his part in the riot, but he had like his connections and stuff. So he was quickly released and just Food given, released. yeah, he was just given a fine for illegally carrying a weapon. They're like, you're good to go. Well, yeah, because they don't want to mess with him. You don't want to mess with the king of you little, don't Italy, mess with little Italy. The, with the king. Right. So now we are going to flash forward. Oh my gosh. Oh. I'm sorry. That just reminded me of something. Okay. So this is super random. You said the king. I don't remember what we were watching. I think it was Zombieland. <laughs> I know. Talking about I know I'm like, totally... and Elvis. Yes. So it was the second one, right? Isn't that the yes. second one? Yeah. Yeah. So we were watching that. Um, and Aiden, you know, he brings up being the king, like Elvis was the king. Yeah. So, Aiden turned to me <laughs> he goes was Elvis really a king <laughs> yes he was a mighty ruler <laughs> I was like not an actual king he was like so why is he called the king and I was like king rock and roll I'm done with you <laughs> random thought random thought for the day continue <laughs> random thought okay so now we're gonna flash forward to four years later okay. Christmas Eve 1919 Joseph Kania Kenya, I think it's Kenya. Joseph Kenya had just finished up his shift at the tire plant in Chicopee Falls, Massachusetts. So he decided after a long shift, he would stop by the American House, which was like the local pub in the area. So he was going to stop by the American House and have a quick drink before going home to his wife and two young children. So this was a time when the prohibition was like right on the brink of becoming a very real thing. I think it was like the beginning of 1920 when that took effect. 
because of World War One, there were already a ton of restrictions on the sale of alcohol. And one of these restrictions was that alcohol content in whiskey was extremely low most places, which just sounds awful. Like, that's really sucky. Um, word on the street was that that pub had recently gotten a good batch of whiskey from France, like a strong content of alcohol, good whiskey. So they were like, let's go. They were like, let us go to the pub. So it's not known exactly how many drinks Kania had, but it is certain that he had more than one. When he got home, he wasn't feeling well. So he skipped dinner and went straight to bed. The next morning, he was able to get up and go to church with his family because it was like Christmas morning. The next morning, they went to church. But he complained of a stomach ache like all morning, according to his wife, Annie. So by the next day, he had become extremely ill. And Annie called for a doctor to come to the house and check him out. So Dr. Lewis Mannix got to the house around 11 a.m. And he found um, Kania lying on the bed in a semi-conscious state. So he noted that the room smelled strongly of vomit. He was, yeah, he was unable to get very much information out of Kania. He was um, really just like rolling from one side of the bed to the other and like gripping his hands up in the air, like clearly in pain. After doing a physical exam, he found that Kania's lips and skin were a slight bluish color. And this indicated that his heart was weakening and he was tachycardic. So his heart rate was like super elevated. And then the nerve reflexes from his waist down were practically paralyzed. Dr. Mannix noticed his eye reflexes were very sluggish. And when he shined a light into his eyes, the pupils remained wide open instead of contracting. So this indicated to him that he had gone blind. Oh, no. Yeah, like it's escalating. So Dr. Mannix told Annie that there was really nothing that he could do for now. And he had other patients to see that he was like on the way to see. So... He instructed her to keep Kanye comfortable as best she could and that he would return that afternoon to check on him again. By the time- He wouldn't be alive by then. Well, by the time he returned at three that afternoon, Kanye was dead. Right. I was going to say, he's not going to be alive if he's already got a shortness. Right. Like all of that. Everything. All of that. It just doesn't sound, doesn't sound like a good thing. It does not sound like my house is coming down right now. And I apologize. (laughs) That's okay. I I could just hear everything. It's so much more, you know, you can hear it more. In the headphones, you can hear a lot. I could hear it that time. So listeners might've heard it. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I apologize. We won running around. (laughs) So his death wasn't the only one in Chicopee Falls. Over the past okay. few days, there had been several reports of people falling ill and suddenly dying. Meanwhile, like the same way? Yes. Meanwhile, in Hartford, Connecticut, on the day after Christmas, 28-year-old Bartois Stimke, Stimker? I got a couple weird names okay. in here. Sorry. So he went out for a drink to toast the holidays, but his holly jelly celebration did not last very long. So not long after drinking his whiskey, he suddenly felt very ill. I was about to say something's in the whiskey. Something's in the whiskey. Something's, something's in, the whiskey. in the whiskey. Stop drinking it. Stop drinking, Stop it. drinking it. But we got this good shipment from France. So he went to the hospital. Just a bad shipment. He went to the hospital and he was quickly admitted. Um, while he was there, his condition quickly worsened and he started complaining of blurry vision and soon after went completely blind. 
And then oh within God, 10 minutes, in it. <laughs> with, within 10 minutes of losing his eyesight, he was dead. What is in the whiskey? What's in the whiskey? What's gonna, in the whiskey? I I'm, would not. I'm, I'm going to tell you all about it. <laughs> What's in the whiskey? <laughs> you look so concerned right now. Um, starting on Christmas Eve, people in Hartford had been showing up at hospitals around the, the city with similar symptoms and going blind and suddenly dying. Like just, it kept happening. By the end of the day on December 26th, 10 people in the Hartford area had already died from this. And there were several more that were like super sick. Then reports started coming in from all across the Eastern US of these similar severe illnesses, blindness and sudden deaths. We're talking like major cities like Boston, Detroit, Chicago. On December 29th, 47-year-old John Malati fell ill, became blind, and two hours later was dead after drinking whiskey with a friend named Joseph Zimmer, who also died shortly after. Newspapers all over the New England area were reporting multiple deaths every day since Christmas Eve. So whiskey. So what the hell was actually happening? <laughs> What's happening? I think you figured it out. So <laughs> they're like, why are all these people becoming so sick? Why are they going blind? Why are they just dying? So autopsies revealed that these people had actually been drinking wood alcohol, oh, AKA okay. methanol. Oh, okay. Yes. So methanol is okay. highly toxic if ingested. Well, yes. Yes. Most commonly nowadays, you would see methanol poisoning in someone who's drank like windshield wiper fluid. So like either right. if it was accidental or if they were trying to commit suicide or something like that. Symptoms of methanol toxicity, toxicity that was hard to say, usually include headache, nausea, dizziness, abdominal pain, vomiting, lack of coordination, and confusion. So large doses can cause unconsciousness, blindness, and of course, death. As little as 10 mLs, so like two teaspoons, can cause permanent blindness, and 15 mLs is potentially fatal. So it just takes a little bit to drink. Yeah, and if stuff. they're drinking like a shit ton, they're drinking it like they're like drinking glasses. Whiskey. Right. They get these autopsies back, and now everyone's like, why are all these people drinking wood alcohol? Like, <laughs> I know we're on the right. brink of prohibition, but like, damn, like, calm down. So investigators got a lead as to what was happening after speaking with the Hartford hospital staff. So when the hospital staff had spoken with several of the dying patients, they were like trying to get like a clinical history to try to put the pieces together. They realized right. that there was quite the coinkadink between these cases. So many yeah. of the patients had purchased whiskey at a Hartford saloon that was owned by a man named Frank Rose. So they tracked down Frank. They're like, bruh, where did you buy this whiskey? Like, it's not actually liquor and everyone's like dying. So <laughs> we need to know where you got this. I'm going to need to know. Do you got a receipt? <laughs> Do you have a receipt? He was like, let me tell you exactly where I bought this because I am not trying to get in trouble. Like I didn't make this just so you know. <laughs> I did not kill. I did not kill anybody. <laughs> right. So it turned out that Rose and another bar owner in the Hartford area had both bought the alcohol from a supplier in New York City. They had distributed the alcohol to Massachusetts and other parts of Connecticut after they bought it. So it's like all spread out there. It wasn't hard for them to trace where the alcohol had come from, from there. Cause like nobody wanted to get in trouble for these murders. They're like, it was not me. Let me tell you everything. It wasn't long before 
John Romanelli's name started getting thrown around. Ah. Yeah. So police knew of Romanelli. For the most part, he had kept a pretty low profile, but they did know that he was like this mobster mafia guy called the mayor of right. Little Italy. And they remembered that a few years back, that was um, there was that riot that involved his gang and he got arrested and all that stuff. So they also knew that he was an undertaker with a ton of connections. And they had, they had suspected for a long time that he would be the guy to go to if like a gang killed an enemy and needed to dispose of the body. Right. They're like, he's an undertaker. We're pretty sure he's like getting rid of these bodies. Oh, it's clicking now. It's, it's clicking. clicking. So it's clicking. What's clicking? <laughs> he's an under he's an undertaker. He's having these people killed so that he has work. No, but that's a good guess. Oh so okay. that is actually a very good theory. <laughs> but what so one of the main ingredients for embalming fluid was wood alcohol. Oh, God. So like he's an undertaker. Everybody's throwing his name out there. He's clearly got all this. Like, he can get wood alcohol easily. Like, that's part of what he does. Right. Romanelli was a businessman. He realized that with the prohibition on the brink, there was money to be made in bootleg liquor. He's like, people want to drink. They'll pay good money to do it. I like receiving good money. Having all the connections that he had, he had learned about a huge shipment of wood alcohol in New York that was headed for Europe. So on December 20th, he and a group of accomplices snuck into the warehouse. They hauled off 10 drums of the wood alcohol. So then they drained it into their own barrels and replaced what they had drained with water and then returned the water-filled drums back to the warehouse so nobody would know the wood alcohol was missing until it was too late. Right. They then added water, burnt sugar, flavor extracts, and coloring to the wood alcohol so it would like look like whiskey. And they sold the batch for $23,000 to a man named Carmen Lizenziata, <laughs> who then sold it to the Connecticut bar owners that distributed it everywhere. So today, that $23,000 would have been equivalent to about $357,000. So that's a pretty penny that he, he sold that for. Right. So he didn't actually mean to kill anybody is what you're telling me. He was oh. just trying to make money. Right. So he didn't realize that the tox, like it was going to be toxic <laughs> when you're right. consuming large amounts. Oh, interesting. See, I was thinking that he actually purposely tried to kill people. So yes, that's what I was going to say. He could have work. I was going to say that is a very good theory. When he gets, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get, I'm going to come back to this. So, Okay. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm over here like, what? So right. I didn't actually try or he did or he, uh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. So <laughs> by January 1st, 1920, newspapers across the nation were, were reporting as many as 146 alcohol poisoning related deaths in the Eastern U.S. states. So people are like freaking out. They're worried about drinking any alcohol at all now, which would piss me off. And <laughs> They're all awful. sober now. Everybody's sober Everybody's and worried sober. and pissed. <laughs> Everybody's sober and cranky because they can't drink. And they were cranky. They were so cranky because the citizens in Connecticut were like, they were getting together and they're like, let's get together this lynch mob. So when we find out who did this, 
we can just take care of it. Like they were ready to hang whoever was oh, responsible for it. Like they were, good. they were, they were getting pissy about being sober for sure. Police caught it's up okay. with. It's okay, don't escalate. <laughs> it was escalating. Everything was escalating. Some wine. Go get some grapes, girl. Some grapes. <laughs> Go get some grapes. Oh my god! So police catch up with one of Romanelli's guys, and he was so relieved when they caught him. He he was like he begged them to arrest him, and he said, "quote." I'm glad you got me for God's sake. Don't send me to Connecticut. I'm an innocent man. It would mean certain death. So he was like worried just because he was one of Romanelli's guys that like they were going to lynch him too. Right. So they finally caught up with Romanelli in New York and like caught him red handed with some of the stolen alcohol. There was like no (laughs) hiding it. (laughs) It makes me think of like teenagers that are trying to replace their parents' bongo with water. (laughs) Right. He has, he has the stolen alcohol. They arrested him and charged him with grand larceny because they caught him with the stolen alcohol. They couldn't charge him with murder because no one had died in New York yet. All the deaths were like across the state line in either Massachusetts or Connecticut. So those states tried to charge him with murder, but because of weak extradition laws among the states, he remained in New York jail and they like held him on the larceny charges and waited to see if any cases of poisonings would show up in New York so they could charge him with murder or like if they could get him extradited or whatever. They're basically like just waiting for just one person. Which is awful by the way, but yes. I know. Let's just wait. We're just going to wait it out and hope somebody just dies. And hope somebody dies. <laughs> right. That's awful. That is awful. So, they could, however, charge Carmen <laughs> with the murder because he was the one who transported the alcohol across the state line. So he was charged and convicted of murder and sentenced to 18 years, but he never served a day of that sentence because he fled the country and went to Italy. So, like, <laughs> he just got away. <laughs> <laughs> now, the entire time Romanelli's in jail, he is complaining that the police are trying to frame him for this. Like, he didn't poison anybody. They're framing him. And they've ruined his undertaking business. Like, they've just ruined You're him. You're worried about that? <laughs> Not prison? <laughs> right. Business is going Hey, because he's like, I have connections. He's like, I have connections. I'm not going to prison. But you've ruined my business <laughs> when I get out of here. Priorities, bro. Priorities. Yes. Now, this is where I was going to play devil's advocate and just put out there. He's claiming he's innocent. In 1919, the effects of ingesting wood alcohol weren't like studied or really well known. So it is possible that he didn't know that it would kill people. It's possible that he was just trying to make money. I I was gonna say, I bet he was just trying to make. I mean, that's what he is. He was hustling. He was the businessman, always hustling. Yes. I think the theory. That's the better theory. At first, I thought when you were saying all all this stuff, I was like, oh, he's just trying to get his undertaker business but i don't think that was the case at all because i mean they stole barrels not even it's not like they had a plan to kill all these people right so it doesn't make sense since he's like this businessman he's hustling he's trying to make money it doesn't make sense for him to kill a bunch of people when he could continue to make money off of them by like continuing to sell them this alcohol so whether he knew that he was poisoning these people or not he was still a mobster that did a lot of sketchy shit well, um, yeah, I'm not saying he's, he's still <laughs> right. He still either killed or had his rival killed 
and probably disposed of a ton of bodies and stole a huge oh, amount I'm sure of he did other alcohol. bad things. Right. Right. I'm sure he did other bad things, but I'm saying when he sold the original alcohol, he didn't know where it was going to be distributed. Right. Personally, listening to it all now, I bet he didn't mean to kill anybody. I bet on he didn't. this case. I bet he didn't because he could keep making money because people are going to want their mm-hmm. alcohol. So I think he was just right. trying to sell some bootleg alcohol and he's like make some yeah makes he's like well i know where this big shipment of wood alcohol is and it's got alcohol in the name so (laughs) that'll pass right that'll pass for whiskey um okay let's just sell this ingest it no they couldn't charge him with the murder again because like nobody in new york had died yet so he Ended up getting sentenced to three years at Sing Sing Prison for the larceny. And police continued to try to have him charged for murder while he was, like, sentenced to that three years. But there was nothing they could do. Prosecutors... I was going to say, it, it's got to be hard to come back to that. They stole, yes, but they did. it wasn't an intentional... They sold it. The right. other distributor sold it to other places so i mean you can't really tie that all back to him because right you know he was just selling stolen goods and that's all they could charge him with so one prosecutor explained he said quote a man may stand within the confines of one state and fire a cannon into another killing a thousand persons without laying himself liable to extradition to the state in which the death actually occurs this is exactly what happened in the Romanelli case, except that the Brooklyn killers used alcohol instead of a cannon. So after two years, he was released on good behavior and he returned to his undertaking business that he claimed that the police had ruined, but he picked it right <laughs> back up. <laughs> like he lost no business whatsoever. And he even held a hugely spectacular funeral for his gangster nephew that had been gunned down in a mob war. So to this day, it's unclear how many people actually died from the phony booze it's definitely well over 100 people and a ton more got crazy sick or were left permanently blind but they don't have like an actual number number um it's so crazy and that's the case of john romanelli and the 1919 christmas massacre but i like this one was a good one just because it was so different so yeah i hadn't heard it and so i was like well this is something different yeah so that is that on that all right well we're gonna have you guys follow us <laughs> if I was you like, where's she going with this if you want if you want it you can if follow you like, us <laughs> if you like if you like want to <laughs> we'd like really like that <laughs> anyway yes just check out our website serialholicsisters.com you can follow all our stuff on there instagram the the what do you call it the facey space the facey space i haven't mentioned that in a while the facey space is still a thing yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah and uh, our patreon Patreon. all that stuff's on the website um it is it's all on there our june episode is going to be released in well in the next couple days it's almost not june so i know that's my bad i've I've been busy and i did not get my notes finished but they're done and we're going to record it actually like after we record this one so it's going to be out (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) sorry about it (laughs) anywho any hoosier awkward (laughs) okay Okay, bye. bye
Bye. <laughs> I was like, did you say it? Okay, bye. No.